0: Friday, I was called to the bedside of an elderly lady that's dying, a mother of somebody in our church. They didn't want me to make it public. My wife and I went and prayed with them. I was there yesterday, 4.40 this morning. I was getting ready to come to the church, and my phone rang, and it was that lady. She said, my mama went to heaven this morning. I said, well, she got a good Mother's Day present, let me tell you. I said, you didn't, but she did. And as they sang that song, I thought of that. That lady going to heaven this morning, she got to see Jesus. Boy, what a thought. What a thought. I want to help you today. I am not heavy-hearted. I'm heavy for the heavy-hearted. I mean that. What I preach today will apply to many in this room. It won't necessarily be about the topic that is focused on in 1 Samuel chapter 1, but the truth is the truth no matter what the topic is. And I want you to listen to me today. I I think I can help you. Elkanah and Hannah were married. But Hannah was unable to have a child. By the way, this does happen. It doesn't mean that a woman is less of a woman because she can't have a child. That's like saying that a man's not a man because he's not six foot four, 235 pounds, and can bench press 500 pounds. Amen. Just because you can do something physically does not make you that part of a human being. If you put wheels on your hands and go down the road, it doesn't make you a car it's no different we have to understand that in the culture of the hebrews though a a woman took it a little bit more seriously about having a child because they understood that the messiah would run through hebrew blood they wanted the potential of one of their children being in the lineage of jesus that's why it hit maybe a little harder to hannah Elkanah had more than one wife. I do not advise that. Do you know what the curse of polygamy is? Multiple mother-in-laws. But uh, (laughs) I love my mother-in-law. That's why she's in Minnesota. I mean, uh, uh, Elkanah had children with his other wife. But the Bible says, if you read earlier in chapter 1, don't do it right now, You find out that Elkanah loved Hannah more than his other wife. Even though she had no children, that didn't matter. It was a matter of the other had children and Hannah could not. Now, if we, if you read earlier and throughout verse Samuel chapter one, you find out that Hannah actually had people, the Bible would use the word an adversary, who would provoke her. And say mean, negative things about her because she could not have a child. May I say something? That's about as evil as it gets. Uh, I've heard uh, and I've counseled and counseled and counseled and counseled and counseled and counseled. I've had ladies tell me, preacher, can't have a baby, but I've had people tell me, well, if you were right with God, you could have one. Well, if that's the case, how about all these drug addicts that are having babies? Are they right with God? Uh, God's judging you. I disagree with that 10,000%. Number one, you're not God to make a statement like that. Number two, that's not necessarily a judgment of God. I think that we ought to keep our comments to ourselves. Amen. As I was taught, you got enough on your own plate, you don't need to worry about what's on somebody else's plate. Hannah allowed this inability to have children to consume her life. Now, listen to me. She, as every Hebrew would do, they would make their yearly trip to the We would use the term house of God. It was actually the tabernacle. It wasn't the temple yet. uh, But it was uh, where they would come yearly to do their sacrifices and give their tithes and all that kind of stuff. They would take a yearly trip there to do it. While there, she slips in and she begins to pray. We read how she began to pray, but she was so consumed with grief... She couldn't even get the words out of her mouth. Now, listen to me very carefully. She's there at church praying. She's so consumed with grief that she can't get words out. She's just moving her mouth with nothing coming out. And Eli, the high priest, sees her and he says, Woman, what are you doing here? You're drunk. She said, "No, sir. I'm not drunk. I'm 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 filled, I'm consumed with sorrow and grief." She said, "I'm barren and I'm begging God to give me a man-child that I'll loan back to him for his whole life." Samuel in her his conversation with her realizes she's not drunk. <clears throat> but he said, "It's okay. Get up. You go back home with your husband. And about this time next year. You'll be bringing a baby with you. Bible says that she got up. And look at verse 18. At the very end. So the woman went her way. And did eat. And her countenance. Was no more sad. Wow. Now the next year. Her countenance was sad because she had a baby. No. Uh, (laughs) Now listen to me very carefully here. She is so consumed by grief over this that he rebukes her for being drunk. The title of my message is this. Don't get drunk with grief. Don't get drunk with sorrow. Hannah gets up and her countenance is changed. She was no longer consumed by the grief and the sorrow. And immediately her countenance changed. And... Just as Eli said, "If you read the rest of the chapter, don't read it now." Or, as Paul Harvey would have said, the rest of the story." Uh, but she goes back home with her husband, and in just a few short weeks or months, finds out she's expecting. And she has a child. I think it's funny. We read in Sunday school this morning, in chapter 3 you find out, that when she came back the next year with that baby, she was so happy that Eli looked at her, the priest, and said, well, since you've kept your end of the bargain, God's going to bless you. She ended up having three boys and two girls after that. I'm not sure that was a blessing or a curse. (laughs) But, Hannah promised God she would raise that child till he was weaned and then take him back to the house of God and that he would grow up in the house of God to serve God his entire life for God. By the age of probably four or five, Hannah goes back to the temple with Samuel, hands him over to Eli the priest and said, Let him serve God the rest of his life as one of your own sons. Samuel, the man of God. The man who God would use to anoint the first king of Israel, Saul. The man whom God would use to anoint King David. The one who God would use to rebuke Saul. The one who God would use probably greater than any prophet or priest in the Bible, Samuel. Wow. All because of a mama. By the way, she kept her promise to God. When that child was weaned and able to care for himself at the age of four or five, She had put everything into him that she could. She would go there from year to year and bring him a new coat every year. She would see her child once a year. She watched him grow up. She watched him become a junior. Then a junior higher, lost his brains, fell out his ear. Watched him become a high schooler. Watched him serving God. By the way, at the age of four or five, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3 and 4, you'll see the statement, And the child Samuel ministered before Eli and the Lord. And the child ministered to the Lord. Eli's adult sons were not even saved. They were perverting the temple, they were whoring around with women at the temple, they were stealing things that were God's, and they weren't even saved, and they, they weren't doing the work of God, and God came to a little five-year-old boy and called one night and said, Samuel, and he went up and went to Eli, and he said, I didn't call you, go back to bed, he went back to bed, and God called again, Samuel, and he got up and he went to Eli and said, what do you want? And he said, I didn't call you, but if it happens again, say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And God came to Samuel again the third time and said, Samuel, and he said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. God had to talk to a little boy instead of a bunch of adults. By the way, it's sad that he had to talk to a four or five-year-old boy and not Eli. There's a statement that arrested my attention, though. When Eli looked at her and said, why are you drunk? Why are you drunk? She wasn't drunk. She was consumed with sorrow and consumed with grief. Now listen to this. That means being consumed by grief and sorrow is like consuming alcohol. I didn't say it, God did. These aren't my words, they're his words. But if you've counseled as much as I have, and you watch people who allow grief, who allow sorrow to consume their life, you'll find that statement very true. Sorrow can have the same effect as alcohol. Grief can have the same effect as alcohol on a person's soul or spirit. I realize today's Mother's Day. But I wonder how many mamas in this room are allowing their life to be consumed by sorrow. Consumed by grief. Wonder how many men in here you have something in your life that's consuming you of sorrow or grief, and you're acting to God like a drunken person. You say, well, that's not me, preacher. Well, we're about to find out. I would love for every person to walk out of this room today like Hannah did with her countenance changed and be free from the bondage of that drunkenness. This isn't just for ladies. This is for everyone. First of all, Eli saw Hannah's grief as drunkenness. Why? Why did Eli look at someone who is in such grief, such sorrow, and use the words, why are you drunk? Hannah's grief had the appearance of drunkenness. Listen to these next couple statements. Grief, like alcohol, is not a disease. It is a choice. Grief, like alcohol, is not a disease. It is a choice. We can make the choice to allow it to control us, or we can make the choice to not allow it to control us. You know, there's never been a bottle of whiskey that ever jumped off the shelf and down your throat? Well, it's a disease. Did you know you don't get that disease walking through the store and somebody breathing on you? Everybody doing all right? The world wants to call drunkenness a disease. It's not a disease. Who's going to drink the flu? somebody throws up are you going to go over there with a spoon and start digging in so preacher well that's no different than alcohol if it's a disease who's going to go drink covid y'all know what i'm talking about i could do it because i couldn't smell it or taste it but wait a minute the word grief it means vexation anger sorrow rage In First Peter two nine, and we'll look that verse up in a little while here. just turn there, First Peter chapter two, verse number nine. I'm going to show you something. I shared this with a couple preachers a week or so ago, and it's revolutionary. Now, hang on. First Peter chapter two, look at verse number nine. I'm sorry, verse 19, not 9. Put your finger on a different spot. For this is thankworthy if a man for a conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Notice the word grief there. Endure grief. Do you know what the word grief means in the Greek language? Now, everybody look at me. It is a Greek word, lupe. Have you ever heard the term, somebody's a little bit loopy? A little crazy in the head? The word grief is the word lupe. It means that you are out of your normal mindset. You are so sad, so heavy, so angry, so sorrowful, so full of grieving that you are not thinking clearly. It is literally the word that we use in English as loopy. Kind of like when you have a kidney stone and they give you Delotta. (sighs) You're loopy. I'm not sure it takes the pain away, but you really don't care. (laughs) Grief, listen to this statement. Grief is allowing a situation to control you. Grief is allowing the death of a loved one to consume you to where you quit living. Grief is allowing the hurt that someone has inflicted on you to consume your life to where that's all you think about. Grief, uh, I'm, I'm going to use a word here, is an addiction of the mind that we choose. Right. It's not something that you cannot control. You say, well, I didn't control when someone died. No, but you can control your emotions about it. Amen. Uh, today's Mother's Day. I lost my mama two and a half years ago. I miss my mom every day of my life. Just so you know. Am I sad that I don't have my mom? Brother Jim, she's in heaven playing tag with the angels right now. she got five grandbabies up there that she's taking care of for us. How can I be sad that my mama's in heaven? Everybody doing alright? Do I miss her? Yes. I texted my brother this morning. I, I've... Told him I loved him, praying for him. Told him that I thank God for the influence of our mother on our lives, and the fact that he, uh, that uh, I had a brother because of her. Everybody doing all right? I love what my brother said. He said I love you too, and he said I'm. Uh, yeah, I miss her too every day, but especially today. And I said I know that. But can I tell you something? I'm not going to curl up in a fetal position because my mama's in heaven. Because if I did, she'd probably come down and beat the tar out of me. Sorry, stuffings. My mom would not want me to stop doing what I'm doing. Everybody doing okay? You see, grief is an addiction. And it's addiction of our mind. Did you know if you could take alcohol out of a drunkard and dry them out and keep them away from alcohol, they'll never miss it again? So I know people that just keep going back to it and keep going back to it because they keep thinking about it. I know people who can't, they say they can't quit smoking. You know why they can't quit smoking? Because they keep thinking about it. They don't replace in their mind. It's an addiction of the mind, not biologically. So grief is something that we choose to run back to over and over and over and over and over over again. I know people who have gone through divorce and they're fighting over kids and then their kids start growing up and they lose influence on a child because one parent's evil, one parent's not. And the parent that's not evil just about quits living because of the evilness of the other parent and they quit living because they're so consumed with grief. Can I tell you something? Quit being consumed with grief. Number two, what does God say in the Bible about grief? Lick your finger. Don't put it in anybody's ear. Uh, But go to Job chapter 6. We're going to look at quite a few verses here. Go right to the book of Psalms and back about 40 pages. You'll be at Job 6. Job chapter 6. Look at verse number 2. Now realize Job lost ten children. Job lost five businesses. Job had all of the workers in those five businesses killed. All in one day. Job lost his health. Job lost the loyalty of his wife. And then he's got three friends who show up and sit there for seven days looking at him. And then start telling him that he's being judged of God. Look what the Bible says of Job. Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balance together. Wow. For now it will be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. First thing about grief is this. It's a heaviness. It's a heaviness. Did you ever get around a drunk person? They can't pick anything up. Number one, they can't hold on to it. Number two, everything is just, it's, they're they are doing it because they're weighed down by it. Right. Grief is a heavy weight. I'm just going through a heavy time, preacher. Yeah, you are. That's why God said in 1 Peter, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. Come unto me all ye that labor to have laden and give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke? Yeah, because he'll get in the yoke and help pull the load and make it a little easier to carry. Amen. He'll lighten the load. It doesn't mean you come bring it to his feet and walk away from it. It means you come kneel at his feet and yoke up with him and he'll help harness that. He'll help shoulder that and he'll help pull the load with you but you're still going to have to pull the load. Amen. So God says that grief is a heaviness. Look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6. The very next book of the Bible. I'm just showing you what God says. We're coming to a, 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 a... There's a sledgehammer coming, so hang on. Psalm 6. Look at verse number 7. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Did you know grief causes troubles physically with your eyes? It also causes trouble in the fact that, notice it says my eye is consumed. In other words, I can't get my eyes off of it. I keep going back to it. I keep focusing on it. And it's daily, moment by moment, hour by hour. And uh, uh, can I tell you something? Grief will affect, sorrow will affect how you view life. It does. (laughs) I spend my life with people who are losing their life. I watch families go through the death of loved ones more than I probably ever thought I ever would. But can I tell you, as I did, Brother Barnes was with me yesterday. I said, just think of this. When she takes her last breath here, she's going to be in heaven. Brother James, Miss Lily's there. Did we want her to go? Not then. But here's the question I have for you. We're all sinners. We're all going to die. When is it right for somebody to die then? Well, I just wish I... Wait a minute. I don't care if they're 130 years old. You'd wish you had more time with them. I picked that number because nobody lives that long. Amen? Amen? It consumes your eye to where you can't see clearly. Can I tell you something? Someone who's filled with sorrow, someone who's filled with grief, does not see life clearly. Right. Yes, sir. They don't make good decisions. They can't see what's coming next because they're still thinking about and viewing the problem that caused the hurt. I didn't say it. God did. Look at Psalm 31. Just about 25 chapters down the road here. Psalm 31. Look at verse number 9. Psalm 31, verse number 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my what? Belly. You lose your appetite. You don't eat right. Your digestive system gets messed up because of grief and sorrow. I watch somebody lose someone close to them or go through a tumultuous time and they, they their health starts declining because first thing they do is quit eating and they quit being able to see life clearly. Oh, I'm just not hungry. I'm just not hungry. Yeah, because all you're doing is thinking about your problem. Now, please don't get angry with me. You're going to think I don't have a heart. That's 180 degrees wrong. I promise you. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. This one's going to hurt. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words... Stir up anger, grievous, full of grief. Did you ever notice when somebody's grieving or sorrowful, how angry they are? Snappy? Okay, everybody look at me. I love you, but I'm about to teach you something. Just because you're having a bad time doesn't mean everybody else has to. I love you. You shouldn't live your life expecting everybody else to forgive you because you're a jerk. You shouldn't expect everybody else in life to forgive you because you're rude because you hurt. Everybody doing all right? Now, I love you. Did you know you can hurt and still have a good attitude? (laughs) Last time I had a kidney stone, I drove myself to the emergency room. I felt it coming early enough, and I got there quickly. It was a Sunday morning. I was dressed just like this. When you show up at the ER at 5.30 in the morning dressed in a suit, and you've been there as much as I have, they said, Pastor Bush, who are you here to see? I pulled out my driver's license, leaned over the counter, and said, Me. I said, i got a kidney stone. Hurry up, please now wait a minute they got me one of those little doodly jigs and put it on my wrist and they took me back to the triage and the, guy wants, or the lady wanted to take my pulse and blood pressure and temperature and God knows what else they were doing they said most people don't get dressed up to come to the emergency room I said I'm not dressed up. I'm in my work clothes. I said it happened while I was at the office. They said, "It's only 5:30." I said, "You don't understand." They said, "What do you think is wrong?" I said, "Not what I think, it's what I know. I got a kidney stone." Well, have you had one before? No, nine. This is number 10. Trust me. I said, and "If we don't hurry up back there, I said, somebody's going to get a bucket cuz I'm gonna barf everywhere." It's the only thing in the world that makes me throw up. Now, I was a little brief. I kept apologizing for my brevity, but I was being kind. And then you get somebody that wants to be stupid. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm Mm-hmm. But I remember working with the doctors, the nurses, and the CT scan people, and all that kind of stuff, and... I would say, I'm sorry. They'd say, would you quit apologizing? You're the one with the kidney stone, not me. Uh, And I would keep myself in check. Why? Because I don't want to have a bad attitude while I'm hurting. Now, there were times I wanted to put my fist through a wall because it hurts so bad, but it's not going to fix anything, and then they're going to have to fix my broken hand. Amen? You see... It's amazing how when somebody's full of sorrow, consumed with sorrow, consumed with grief, that they're just so touchy about everything. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 10. Everybody doing okay? This one's really going to hurt. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Try to take somebody who's hurting and sorrowful and consumed with it and try to correct them. That's how you get your head bit off. I do a lot to pre instruct people before they get to the problem. Before a funeral, I'll say, you have one of two choices. You can come together or you can fight like a bunch of backyard dogs. You choose what it's going to be, but here at church, you're going to behave yourself. Don't want you fussing. Don't want you feuding. If you don't like somebody, keep your mouth shut. If you can't say something nice, don't say it. Well, they ought to know better. And you ought to know better for saying something so stupid. Let the correction come when they're able to handle it. They don't need told, it's the judgment of God. First of all, you don't know. Everybody doing okay? Okay. People that are consumed with grief and consumed with sorrow, they don't want to be corrected. By the way, try to correct the drunk ones. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That's right after the book of Proverbs, just a few pages over. Ecclesiastes 2, look at verse number 23. Ecclesiastes 2.23, For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh no rest in the night. This also is vanity. Uh Uh-oh. It even affects our sleep. So consumed with sorrow we can't sleep. So consumed with our own problem that we don't get any rest. Now, I'm not one that likes to sleep. I hate it. To me, it's a waste of time. Uh, I'm one of those people I wish I didn't have to sleep and I could just keep on going 24-7, 365. It doesn't work that way. At my age, you've got to sleep a little. Yep. If I can get four or five hours in, I'm doing good. Let's get up and work the next 18, 19, 20. Let's go for it. I don't plan on... I don't plan on uh, rusting out. I plan on just running out. I want to die, not in the pulpit, but just after I got done preaching. I do know a preacher that did die while he was preaching one day. They (laughs) fell over with a heart attack, and they had to cart him out of the service. I don't want that to happen, all right? I don't want to scare the kids. But if it does happen, guess what? By the time they get to me, I'm there. Don't worry. Uh, But sorrow and grief steals your rest it steals your sleep you get so consumed by it that you can't stop thinking about it we read in first peter 2 19 that it makes us loopy we get out of our own mindset now listen to these couple statements and then we're going to go back and look at one more passage in the book of proverbs these are just some of the things god says that grief causes to people. Turn to Proverbs chapter 23. All of these things are much like what a drunkard goes through. Let me show you what God says about a drunkard. Everybody doing okay? Proverbs chapter 23, look at verse number 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, that means incessant talking about nothing. Who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. Have you ever heard somebody in sorrow or grief just lash out and say things that you never expected? Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. In other words, they're sick and thrown up. There's he that lieth upon the top of the mast. (laughs) They can't walk right, they can't walk straight, they stagger. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I shall awake, I will seek it yet again. Amazing, you go through a time of grief or somebody's consumed with it, they can be hurt and don't even know they're hurting themselves. And Eli looked at Hannah and said, "Why are you drunk?" She said, "No, sir, I'm not drunk. I haven't I don't touch stuff." But grief and sorrow can act like drunkenness. So, by the way, just as a drunkard in proverbs twenty nine thirty five it says when i awake i will seek it yet again isn't it amazing how each time a person gets up they go right back to the grief so number three how do we not let grief control us how do we not let grief control us glad you asked turn to isaiah 53 I promise you, if you listen to me today, I can help you. You don't have to live with that heaviness. You don't have to live with that consumption of sorrow and grief. You don't have to live with the pain and the heaviness and the redness of eyes and the loss of sleep. And you don't have to go through all those things, just like a drunkard would, from alcohol. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Look at verse number four. Let's let let's go back uh, to verse number one. Who hath believed our report to whom the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. When he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is in reference to Jesus. Look at verse number three. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with what grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he hath borne our what griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted he was wounded for our transgressions He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you realize that if you're saved, Jesus already took care of all of your grief for you? Do you realize as a child of God, you don't have to grieve because he bore our grief and our sorrow at Calvary for us? Oh, I didn't say sadness. I said, grief. You don't have to be consumed by it because Jesus already took care of it at Calvary. Dad and I regularly talk about my mama. We both miss her. We all do. But can I tell you something? We find comfort in the fact that she's doing all right. Brother James. I love my mama, but she was so sick, I wouldn't want her back if she couldn't be well. I really wouldn't. She was suffering. People don't know how much she suffered. We didn't even really realize it. Can I tell you something? (laughs) She's doing fine now. It was all cared for at Calvary. Did you know your sorrow and grief have already been paid for? if you paid your house off, are you going to keep making house payments after it's paid off? Say, preacher, that's kind of silly. Then why are you making payments on grief that God already cared for? Why do you keep footing out the money, complaining about it when it's already been paid for? You don't need to keep thinking and worrying about the problem. It's already been cared for at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not for me he died at Calvary. Can I tell you something? He bore our sorrow and our grief so that we did not have to carry it by ourselves here. Say, well, but preacher, but preacher, but preacher, don't care. God already took care of it. Quit trying to pay for it again. Amen. And by the way, you don't have the wherewithal to pay it. That's right. Did you know all the hurt in the world will not bring someone back from the grave? That's right. So why do you keep paying the price that you'll never pay? Some are hurt by a loved one, a child, a parent, a step-parent. I don't care who it was that hurt you. May I say something? It's been cared for at Calvary if you're saved. Number next, you're about to really get mad at me. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you get this next point, I promise you, this next couple of minutes will change your entire rest of your life. Some of you are going to think, I have no heart. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Wherefore. Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And God's talking here about singing. But I want you to notice something. Earlier in the chapter, it says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is it excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, everybody look at me. When you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, it pushes the grief and the sorrow out. Is not one of the titles of the Holy Spirit the Comforter? So when we allow the Comforter to come in... He pushes the grief and the sorrow out. To be consumed with grief, to be consumed with sorrow, means you are void of the Holy Spirit. See, God says, but be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit pushes the grief, pushes the, the sorrow out, And allows the comforter to do his job. Here's what happens. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I want to sit here and have a pity party. I want to sit here and hurt. I want to think about what I don't have. And you're more consumed with what you don't have. Or what you think you gave up. Than the very Holy Spirit of God. Who could fill you and take that away. You can't be filled or consumed with the Spirit and filled with grief at the same time. It's impossible. That's like saying I can have light and darkness in the same room. They do not abide together. One chases the other away. And may I say something, when you let the Holy Spirit in, He chases away the grief. He chases away the sorrow and he is the comforter to give you comfort. Amen. The God of all comfort. Whew. That means this sorrow and grief is a spiritual problem. That's why the world loses it, they have a dead spirit. Then why do we Christians act like a lost world when it comes to hurt? Christ already paid for it. He indwells us with the Holy Spirit at salvation. And he gives us the word of God by which to get through that. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to 1 John right before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5 and I'm done. I'll make about four or five statements and we will pray. 1 John chapter 5 verse number 3. Let me start in verse 1. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begetteth, uh, that begat, loveth, he also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do what? Keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? Grievous. Grievous. Everybody look at me. I'm going to make a very hard statement. If you're grieving, you're not obeying. Because his commandments are not grievous. I didn't say you didn't have sorrow. I didn't say you weren't sad. Two and a half years ago when I stood right here behind this piece of wood, and my mom's casket was right there. Was my heart heavy? Yes, it was. But was I consumed with grief? No, I was not. I was being obedient. I was doing what God said, and I was obeying my mama. Everybody doing okay? We are to live by the principles of God, not by our emotions and our feelings. Get into spiritual schedule. Don't allow how you feel to consume you. When you face those tough times, your best friend will be a schedule. You shouldn't miss work for six months. Shouldn't sit in a room in the dark for the next three weeks, doing nothing but thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking thinking about it. Everybody doing okay? I think you ought to have a scheduled time to hurt. Do you know I plan when I'm going to think about my mom? Well, things just pop up, preacher. When they do, I start thinking about something else because it's not time to think about it. And if I'm not planning on thinking about it, now, I can handle it now, but at first, I didn't allow it to come up. That's how, the, within 40 minutes of my mom's death, I was helping plan someone else's funeral. Then I preached, that was on a Wednesday. On Friday, I preached a funeral I had dealt with Mrs. Diener and her husband who passed away the very same day my mom did. Helped plan his memorial service. I preached Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night church. Preached mom's funeral on Monday. Preached Mr. Diener's uh, memorial service on Tuesday. And came back and we had Wednesday night Bible study. How do you do that? Not being consumed with grief, but obeying the word of God. And schedule becomes your best friend. I'm not saying you work and just take off work just to go to the funeral. But I know people that have to take six weeks off because somebody passed away. Can I tell you something? They wouldn't want you to do that. Don't miss doing spiritual things because you hurt. Well, the hardest place to go after a bad time is church. No, that ought to be the easiest place. What's our problem? It's a thinking problem. Write this verse down. Philippians 4.8 Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good be report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So if it's causing grief, if it's causing pain, if it's causing sorrow, according to Philippians four 8, we're not supposed to think about it. Amen. Brother Scott and I this morning, we were out here and we were wishing folks Happy Mother's Day. I know how Scott feels. His mama died just last year. Mother's Day doesn't have the same pathos that it used to. I get it. We understand that, but it doesn't mean we don't want you to have a happy Mother's Day. You see, consume your mind with the word of God and obeying the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit in. Realize God paid for that, and at salvation, he gave you the Holy Spirit and the word of God to push out the grief, to push out the sorrow, so that you could be consumed by his word, his obedience, and His spirit. Hannah, you need to get spiritual. You need to fill yourself with something other than your selfish pain. You need to get up and realize God's got, got this. Go on. And she left, and her countenance was changed. By the way, people who die who aren't saved. They go to a place called hell. And there is a real hell. Can I tell you what one of the worst parts of hell is going to be? And it's not the fire. The Bible says that hell is a place that is grievous. And for eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, people are going to be grieving in hell, Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and full of grieving over the sin, over the wrong, over the evil, and the anger at God that they're being judged for their own sin. You talk about a place not to be, that's called hell. Thank God in heaven, Brother Barnes and I were talking yesterday, one of the best things about heaven is when we get there, we ain't going to remember one sin we'll have no memory of it. Praise God. Some of you are going to go there not knowing anything. I mean, (laughs) amen, Brother Josh? (laughs) Lisa's going, Uh, can I tell you something? You don't have to be consumed with grief. Let's not be drunk with grief. Let's be filled with the Spirit of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done. Say, preacher, if I died today, I'm 100% sure I'd go to heaven. I know that. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You can put your hands down. Who'd say, preacher, if I died today, I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know it. Would you raise your hand? All right. Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed? Would you raise your hand? Well, my soul, almost every hand, you may put them down. Maybe we need to take our grief and our sorrow and bring it to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to push it out and us to leave this service with our countenance changed, the heaviness gone, and not acting like a drunk person from pain. If you've been saved and never baptized, we could take care of it today. If you've been saved and baptized by immersion, you like to join our church, you come. Many ought to come to an old fashioned altar. Kneel. Let's get rid of the grief and the sorrow that's causing us to be a bit drunk.